0: Welcome to the Sustainable Century by Designer Disaster where we take an honest look at emerging trends in sustainable economic development and why some companies will thrive and others won't both now and in the decades to come. I'm your host Mark De Souza Shields, glad you could join us to share and debate ideas and experiences about how consumers, stakeholders, companies and governments are helping or maybe not to create a more sustainable world. Before we get to our theme today, I'd like to remind you, you can visit us at the thesustainablecentury.net or write us at info at Send us a question, themes to think about, or interesting people you'd like to hear from. In this episode, we talk with David Chandler. David Hales from South Wales in the United Kingdom and is currently an assistant professor of management the University of Colorado at Denver. Well decorated academically, David holds a PhD and an MS in management from the University of Texas at Austin. He has an MBA in management and international business from the University of Miami, amongst other degrees. He has authored or co authored numerous articles on management, ethics, stakeholders. Social Measures of Firm Value, and wrote, along with William B. Werther, Strategic Corporate Social Responsibility, Stakeholders, Globalization, and Sustainable Value Creation. It's in its third edition, including translations into Chinese and Korean. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. David, I I wanted to start by asking you what, in your mind does sustainability strategy actually mean?
1: Uh, Wow. Um, So I tend to think of it in terms of uh, the concept of strategic CSR. And for me, that's best defined in terms of value creation. So when I, you know, this concept has evolved over a, a, a number of years now, which is reflected in the editions of my book. But I increasingly see this more and more as value creation. I think the CSR community as a whole tends to ask the wrong questions, uh, or at least frame them in the wrong way. So when we say, "What are the responsibilities of for-profit firms?" I think what we really mean what we really mean is, "How do they create value, and how do they share that value?" to broader or convey that value to broader sections of society.
0: So you're talking about their responsibility to share the value they create.
1: Well, you know, again, shared value is now a loaded term that I stay away from uh, due to previous publications that use that term. Um, But it's firms create value. That's what they do. Um, uh, they're, They're very efficient at doing that the issue really becomes whether that value is uh, defined very narrowly, and the straw man here is the uh, shareholder uh, value perspective, or whether that value is shared more broadly to all stakeholders in society. And so when we say, for example, firms have a responsibility not to pollute the environment, what we really mean is we're trying to deliver value to stakeholders who include society, NGOs, other constituents who care about the environment
0: well that's that sounds a lot like the concept of uh, externalities is that the same thing
1: uh, uh, it's it's highly related uh, what I think it differs from is people within the CSR community who try to impose standardized objectives externally so if we say the firm must do this the firm must do must not do that um, It's not clear always that there's broad stakeholder support for those assertions. And if there's not broad stakeholder support for those assertions, firms, in fact, needn't abide by them. Uh, They're much better off paying attention to what their stakeholders demand of them. So rather than say, what are the responsibilities of the firm, what must they do, particularly when we talk about moral and ethical responsibilities, which become huge gray areas, because my morals and ethics differ from your morals and ethics. And so what we agree is good or bad is going to
0: vary. A point taken, David, but doesn't that assume, and this may be sophomoric, but that stakeholders, consumers in particular, Actually, know what's good for themselves as important, uh, good for broader social well-being. Meanwhile, we are quite literally consuming ourselves to death as a species of stakeholders. Are we not?
1: Ah, well, they they know they know what's good for them because they enact on it um, day by day. Whether that good is defined in the short term, the medium term, or the long term is another thing. If you know when uh, what you what you might think is good for you. I might look at you and say, I don't agree. But who's to say, I have the right to tell you what's good for you?
0: Well, that's all well and good until, of course, we realize we are that proverbial frog who's taken notice a bit too late that the water is indeed boiling.
1: Sure. Yes. No. And so we, we try and educate. That's a big part of what the university is about. People um, uh, and blogs and other services that people like yourself provide we try and come we try and shift the the prevailing values in society right so if if society currently thinks uh... so take you know go back a hundred hundred fifty years to the early stages of industrialization children working in factories was okay in the u.s. and much of the developed world today it's not that's because society's values have shifted in the nineteen fifties nineteen sixties Wearing fur coats was okay. Today, it's less accepted. That's because values shift over time, and there's there's lots of reasons for that. You know, knowledge progresses, science evolves, education improves. All of those things help influence the prevailing values in society. But at any point in time, people act in their self-interest um, in ways that they believe add value to their lives. Firms respond to those incentives in very complex ways
0: well that's the power of capitalism isn't it it's innovative it's creative responsive can aggregate capital know-how resources to to respond to our needs to what we need that's that's the beauty of it but if we can't communicate our broader social and ecological needs in the marketplace how can it respond and and doesn't that mean we ought to nudge it uh, or rather, don't we have the responsibility to nudge the market in a direction that benefits us all? Well, in this vein, what do you make of Naomi Klein's argument that we need massive public sector investment in climate change to remediate the dangers that we are now facing?
1: Certainly, climate change is probably the, the largest challenge we face as a society today. The solution to that, I believe, should be led by for-profit firms and not governments. Governments tend not to make good decisions when they try and pick winners and losers in the market. So, for example, when the government incentivizes, uh, I don't know, solar firms, solar power firms to succeed and they choose them over hydropower or natural gas or any other energy source, that tends not to lead to efficient outcomes. Um, What the government should be doing in relation to climate change is, is setting a a carbon tax, which accounts for the externalities involved in pulling gar- carbon-based source, energy sources out of the ground and using them. If they accounted for the costs that that process imposes, i.e., they impose the carbon tax, then I think the market is best placed to find the the best energy source for society going forward. In terms of companies lead taking the lead in terms of climate change. They need to respond to stakeholder demands. And so stakeholders collectively defined need to demand more sustainable practices from businesses. And if we demand that and we're willing to pay the the associated costs with doing so, then for-profit firms will respond to those incentives in a much more efficient way than the government will. And so I don't see the solution primarily being led by governments. The solution has to be led by for-profit firms, I think for-profit firms are the most important organizational form we have developed um, in the world. Efficient at combining resources in um, ways that add the most value. What we need to do is incentivize those companies to produce, in 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 respect to climate change, more sustainable outcomes. Uh,
0: agreed. Companies. As a part of capitalism, are certainly powerful, but do they can they respond to sustainability market signals? And by that, I refer to consumers purchasing goods and services with some notable inherent sustainability value, low energy light bulbs, organic uh, organic foods, fairly trade coffee, th- this sorts of things, or, or even non-purchase signals such as. Uh, boycotts, stakeholder movements, b- bad press. How 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 well can companies hear these kinds of signals and respond? Uh, respond to what we think we need in terms of creating a sustainable economy.
1: Well, and just to clarify, when you talk about sustainability, we're talking about ecologically related
0: No, no I'm talking about the the whole package, environmental, social and economic consequences of business activity.
1: Well, so then, you're, I, in my view, you're talking about CSR broadly defined and strategic CSR in that respect, if you're talking about market incentives.
0: Well, maybe not so much just incentives, but whether or not market signals, sustainability market signals exist and, and are being heard by companies. It's
1: not, it's not that they're present or absent. I mean, they're all there. All of those incentives are there. They just may be more or less... CSR inclined so for example consumers go out and they spend money all the time they buy different products so which products do they buy do they buy products that are made by companies that are more socially responsible or do they make product do they buy products made by companies that are less socially responsible the incentives are there just consumers need to direct them in ways that encourage different outcomes so what I say is that when you define CSR in terms of strategic CSR, in terms of value creation, that's not something a firm can choose to do or not do. Firms create value all the time. Well, what they do is just some firms do it better than others. And by better, I mean they spread the value more evenly versus more narrowly. And so those incentives exist. As you say, that's the wonder of capitalism. So when I go out and I... So do I... So, for example, I want to buy T-shirts, right? I don't want to buy a T-shirt. Do I go out and buy six T-shirts and I've got $30 to spend? So do I, go, do I go out and buy six T-shirts at $5 each or do I go out and buy two T-shirts at $15 each? Those are two very, very different decisions in terms of the consequences for the firms that make them. If I'm willing to pay $15 for fewer T-shirts rather than $5 for more T-shirts... That's going to have grave implications for which companies get to survive in the T-shirt making business. And so it's not that those incentives are there or not. It's what kind of outcomes do they encourage? If we were less materialistic as a global community, more willing to finance $15 T-shirts instead of $5 T-shirts, then, you know, the potential to pay employees who work in factories more money goes up. Uh, The quality goes up. You could get organic-based cotton as the source for those T-shirts as opposed to regular cotton. There are all these kinds of different outcomes that would come by consumers making that very simple,
0: simple choice. And that, of course, assumes that consumers can actually connect their values to the marketplace, doesn't it? But it's not a conscious decision, right? I mean,
1: it could be a conscious decision. But when we go out, so um, people get stopped on the street all the time and say, do you believe in ethical companies? Do you want to see more um, sustainable products being made? Would you be willing to pay more for those products? And they say, yes, 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 to all of those questions because no one, you know, what, what are people going to say? No, I'm not ethical. They say yes. But then when they go and shop, I think that the, the exchange of value is a much more clearer demonstration of the values of the individual uh, concerned. So disposable income for most people is a limited resource. So how I spend that money says a lot more about what I truly value than what someone's going to ask me if I'm stopped on the street. And that goes back to, you know, do I buy six T-shirts at $5 each or do I buy two T-shirts at $15 each? I probably don't need six T-shirts when I go out shopping. I could probably get by with two t-shirts. And so when I make that decision, this huge, that's a, a very value. Well,
0: there's a lot of information conditionality around decisions like that, isn't there? Uh, let's talk fashion since you brought it up. Quick fashion, rapid fashion, th- throw away fashion. All that's designed to have us buy more t-shirts. That's not a personal values decision-based construct. It's, it's a market construct and and companies benefit if we buy more than we need and there are a set of values that just are not being effectively communicated to the marketplace uh, so for example if you do the calculation on on what it would cost per article of clothing and I've done this to bring all Bangladeshi textile factories up to western health and safety code it would cost a grand total of 3 cents per article of clothing on, on an annualized basis. And that, that's rough, and it's on the back of the envelope. But So, okay, let's suppose you go to make your T-shirt decision, and you know both the consequences of not paying the $0.03 cents and, and the outcome of, of paying that $0.03. Cents. What do you think the average American consumer and their value base would tell them to buy, even, even if they were on a limited a budget.
1: Well, what do you, say? Are, you uh, are you asking me in a survey, or are you presenting me with a choice T-shirts on the rack in the store. It's on the rack. Then they choose the cheaper option every time. Uh, well, enough to keep someone like Walmart in business.
0: Oh, I'm not sure about that. We we are seeing quite a shift towards more value-based purchases. Uh, the history of sustainability consumer surveys are, are fairly definitive about that, David. So, okay, we may not be at the tipping point many of us sustainability types dream of, but it's a shift nonetheless. A a new survey in Asia, the hot seat of consumerism gone wild, some would suggest, uh, shows that even 60% of people there want to make some form of sustainability purchase. Now, of course, a smaller percentage, as you say, or about 15% actually make them on a regular basis. So we have a long ways to go. But I cannot believe, I cannot believe a lot more folks wouldn't pay that extra three cents when offered the chance. It, it, it might just be a matter of access to good information. But again, social,
1: yes, it's a big part of that, but that that's being tested. I mean, there are companies in the marketplace that are doing that and whether they survive or not, make a profit or not, will we'll determine how that question is answered. I mean, we're talking about the same thing. I was talking at extremes between a $5 t-shirt and a $15 yeah. t-shirt. You were talking about a a $5 T-shirt and a $5.03 T-shirt. The distinction is, is the same, right? I mean, I make a choice when I buy. Do I want the absolute cheapest T-shirt or am I willing to pay for the costs associated with things like bringing pay up to minimum whatever standard you applied in your analysis of the Bangladesh economy? Now, but it's it's hugely complex, right? I mean, so who's to say that the jobs that those Bangladeshi work, workers are are, are entering are not highly valued. I mean, presumably no one's forcing, as long as there's no coercion involved, people are voluntarily deciding to uh, to take those jobs. And I presume that's because it's the best opportunity being offered around them. And 100, 150 years ago in America, you'd have seen very similar jobs being offered.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's complex. And and some might say a textile job in Bangladesh is a great job today. Others might not. David, we're going to have to cut it off here. It's been really fascinating. Why don't you come back and we can finish our discussion off in a part two. That That'll be great. Thank you very much. And thanks to you, David. And thanks for listening to the Sustainable Century podcast I hope you enjoyed it. If, if you like what you've heard, you can always go to SustainableCentury.net, check out our blog, see the full list of Sustainable Century podcasts, or if you'd rather listen to the blog, you can download a six-pack of Sustainable Century spoken blogs where yours truly reads six posts. Remember to press like in all the appropriate places, leave a comment, stir up a fuss, Spread the word, tweet your thoughts about corporate sustainability out to the world. Again, you can find all this at www.sustainablecentury.net or via www.esglobal.com. That's the International Corporate Sustainability Advisory where I work. And let's keep the conversation going.